welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. My message today is called Hot Bible Gossip. We'll get to that um, shortly. Uh, But I want to talk about um, a theological idea to begin with. Um, now, if you think we, we don't discuss theological ideas in, in church, I, I talked about the same idea to the, all the teenagers at school this week. So surely if I could teach them, it, I can talk about it on a Sunday. So are we good? So the idea is called, and I always stuff up how I say it, is called authorial intent. So the intent of the author. And this is, what, this is the way the idea plays out, that... Because what we believe is that the Holy Spirit inspires, inspired people who then were the ones that wrote the Scripture. So, so we believe that the Holy Spirit is inspiring them, but not just in their words, but He's inspiring their intent as well. And so what the author intended to say is what the Holy Spirit was saying. Does that make sense? So, so the Holy Spirit isn't saying whatever... Um, you know, pet verse we like to take and pull out of context and whatever it means to me today, the Holy Spirit, if we're being faithful in reading Scripture accurately, the Holy Spirit is saying what the author intended as they were writing. And so I hate to burst your bubble as a 21st century Christian living in the West in New Zealand, but the Bible wasn't written to you. It's not a book that's written to you. It's written for your benefit and God had you in mind when he's, uh, when, when he's putting it together. But it's not written to you. It's written by specific people for specific people. And, and so much of what has happened over the last 2,000 years where people have been led astray, you know, to the left, to the right, to the, you know, kind of in all directions away from Christianity, which is what we call cults, is because they take something out of context, out of the scriptural context, and, and, and it no longer means what it originally meant. And so I am obsessed, and you will find this, I, I'm obsessed with biblical orthodoxy. I, I am obsessed, orthodoxy means right thinking. I am obsessed with thinking about the Bible the right way. Um, and so I I'm probably going to, um, uh, we're going to talk a lot about, uh, about John today um, because I love John. He's incredible. We're going to be reading a passage from the Gospel of John. Um, but and so we're talking about the Gospel of John. And um, so just quick overview, want to give you some like details about John because I, I really, really love the characters in Scripture because the characters in Scripture are, are, are often where you find uh, the context. If you understand the people, if you've got an idea of who the people are, if you can kind of see what they're thinking, if you can, if you can understand their culture, you're going to understand what they're saying. So John is the guy who wrote the Gospel of John. I know, right? And, um, and so it's not John the Baptist, though. I really wish the Lord would have picked someone else to do, to do his role. Um, that would have been helpful. 
See, um, and we know it's not John the Baptist because he gets beheaded in chapter 3. So um, I don't know what happened to chapters 4 through 21, if, if it was him. No, the book is written by a man named John the Beloved, as history, as history calls him. Why do we call him John the Beloved? Because that's the name he gave himself. He describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I'm like, man, this guy has got a good God complex, like as an actual God complex. Like he's got a good, like I'm the one who Jesus loved. Imagine how like deep you would have to understand God's love to write in scripture, I'm the one Jesus loved. (laughs) And I love that about John. He's also got his problems. He's a bit uh, cocky and competitive. He writes um, of himself that when him and Peter run to the tomb, when Jesus has been raised from the dead, he writes, and John got there first. (laughs) Just so we know, just in case anyone in in eternity is debating who's quicker between Peter and John, John got there first. And so John is this incredible, incredible guy. He's a bit cocky, but we love that. I'm sure some of us are, are a bit competitive, a bit cocky. Um, he's got a good sense of self-worth and he is, he's one of the 12. Man, this guy, he is, he's a part of the crew. Imagine being like Jesus ascends, goes to heaven. We celebrated that this week in the church calendar. On Thursday was the day we celebrate um, Christ's ascension into heaven. Um, And so, uh, be praying, expectant that the Holy Spirit would pour Himself out like He did 2,000 years ago in a fresh way in the coming weeks. Be praying. Um, and, and but anyway, so Jesus ascends to heaven. Imagine, you know, in the early church being one of the 12 who walked with Jesus. Man, everybody would be interested to know what you have to say. But John's not just one of the 12. He's like, he's one of the three like Jesus, yes, he ha- he had his twelve, and, and and you know they were like his his main posse, but he had his three who he, he would take off to do secret missions, and John was a part of that crew, like he was a part of Jesus's inner circle. Uh, but even deeper than that, John is actually Jesus's cousin. Now I know that the the Bible says that John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin, uh, but. Technically, he's his second cousin because Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. And so that whole situation, John the Baptist is his second cousin, but John the Beloved is his first cousin. And I don't know what your cousin, your relationship with your cousins was like growing up. I don't know whether you, you know, didn't know them or like spent time with them. I had some great cousins. We hung out all the time. We'd go on family holidays together. It was fantastic. But in Jewish culture, you would spend so much time with your cousins. They would be like your your siblings. They would be like your brothers. And so. John the Beloved, this guy who writes the gospel according to John, he's, he's spent his childhood growing up with Jesus. He knew him so well. He's probably there when, when Jesus' parents leave Jesus behind at the temple. He's probably in the group that left Jesus behind when he, you know, when he's, he gets lost. And, and so John is involved in all of these, um, all of these early stories of Jesus. He knew him from, from the early days. He knew him as a child. I'm sure he knew the birth story super well as well. 
and I, 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 Scripture doesn't say this, but I can know this definitively. And it's because I've spent time with females. And I have learned that if there is more than two females in a room and at least one of them have given birth, you leave the conversation long enough and the topic of birth and birth stories comes up. I don't know why. If, if you get bored of my preaching, some ladies might start talking about their birth stories today. I, I don't get it. I was there. It seemed painful. And I'm like, why don't we forget this and move on? But... I know that John has heard the story so many times because it's, it's not even a birth, like it's not just a normal birth story. It's a really good one. There's donkeys in it. There's like, there's sheep and donkeys. There's hay. Three shepherds show up in the middle of it. There's stars and angels. The Son of God is born. It's like, it's quite an incredible, you know, moment. And so I bet Mary talked about it a lot. There weren't three wise men because that's not a part of the nativity scene, even though we always add it in. And anyway, but so I, I'm sure that John has heard Auntie Mary talk about the birth story so many times. Like, uh, you know, they're all hanging around and, and, and the conversation goes quiet and Mary starts going, oh, I remember a couple of years ago, this fateful night where my husband forgot to book accommodation. And then, it, you know, rolls on and, man, hate to be Joseph in that one. And so he's heard Auntie Mary talk about the story. He, he, he knows the birth story so well. I know that definitively because I, I, I'm sure that there's two types of people in the world, men and, and women. And, and so he knows the birth story so well. And I can imagine the disciples and the early Christians being excited about what content John is going to bring in his gospel. Because so Matthew, Mark and Luke have already come out. They're already available on Amazon by the time John's gospel is, is being released. And so I'm sure when the preview came out, the early church is like, man, this is gonna be juicy. He knew Jesus so well. He's gonna give us some insight into his early life. He's gonna give us some, some content that we hadn't seen before. And, and I bet they're excited. And obviously Christians don't gossip because it's a sin, but we do like to have pastoral care conversations about other people behind their back. Um, but it's not gossip because it's, it's not a, that's a sin. Um, but John is like, I, I bet the early Christians are like, man, I can't wait for John's hot Bible gossip. I can't wait to see what it is. It's not gossip. I mean, hot Bible, pastoral care, notes about Jesus. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to learn about Jesus as a child. And then they come to reading it. It's release day. The gospel's finally out. They download, don't download it, download, don't download it. Is that right? Is that how you say it? Sometimes I just listen to myself talking like, what are you saying, Mitch? They download it on their Kindle and they read the first three words. Obviously in Greek, not in, not in English because they didn't speak English then because English wasn't a language. And the first three words, I think, probably caught them off guard. In the beginning. The, the, these first words of the Gospel of John don't take them to, to this place of, oh man, this is Jesus as a child. This is a, some interesting stuff about the birth story. But it, it takes them to the beginning of their Scripture. And they go, oh, he's got a fresh take. 
He's got something. He's got something else. This is what it says, John 1, 1 through 3. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Instantly, the reader's like, oh, he's, he's talking about Genesis 1. I get it. He's, 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 he, it's a commentary on what, on what Genesis says. He was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. All of a sudden, John has taken his readers and he's taking us today and he's connecting Jesus, not to his earthly life, not to his earthly ministry, but he's connecting Jesus to the creation of the world. Because if you continue reading on, you, you read that the word is, is testified by John the Baptist. And, and, and I mean, you don't have to be a scholar to figure out who he's talking about here. And so John doesn't focus on the birth story. There's no mention of it. He doesn't address it at all. He doesn't even focus on what he knows, but God's given him insight. Remember, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's writing this down and God's given him insight into Jesus's role as the second person of the Trinity, Jesus's role in the creation of the world. What's he doing? He's, he's, with, he's the word that's with God in the beginning. He, he's, he, and he's the one through which everything has been made. I think it's interesting um, and makes a lot of sense to me that John the Beloved, this guy who knew Jesus so intimately as a person, is the one that God reveals Jesus' place in creation. So John writes this and then he writes his gospel and his gospel is filled with fresh content. Like his gospel is, has got so much fresh content um, compared to the other three gospels, which are kind of just, you know, they're all very similar with one or two extra stories, a little bit of different uh, differences here and there. And then in John, we see this moment as Jesus restores Peter in John 21 and, and there's this restoration and then, but John doesn't just write this book. He also writes his epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I know, original titles. Um, and it's important when you're looking at Scripture to go, okay, what other books has this guy written? Because God isn't just, God is much bigger than we could ever imagine. He's not just speaking in the verse. He's talking through the whole book. Um, and so, a side note, if you read Luke, read Luke and then read into Acts because it's the same book, just two volumes, and it makes more sense if you read it like that. Um, but Jesus is um, he, so he so John writes his gospel and he's detailing Jesus's life like the other gospels. He's, he's got all this fresh content, and then um, and then he writes his epistles to the church, and um, and they really have this clear theme through them. It's turn to Jesus. You know, John is the one who, in First John, he writes, he, he, he uh, makes an appeal to us to turn to our first love. He call, he's constantly calling the, the church back to this close intimacy with Jesus. And so it makes sense to me that John is then the one who in the, in the book of Revelation who sees Jesus glorified in eternity. He sees him with eyes of fire and hair white as snow and, and face shining like the sun. But it makes sense because G, John, John and Jesus, they were so close. It makes sense to me that God reveals 
Jesus' glorified nature to him. And then John, um, throughout the book of Revelation, gives pastoral advice to the church. That is what most of the book of Revelation is. It's not this scary, um, scary book. Most of it is pastoral and it's for you. Um, it is my view, speaking on the book of Revelation, it's my view that John uses two words to describe the church age, um, the millennium and the tribulation. Um, and if, you are, if you're into eschatology, let's chat and we can debate it. Um, but I believe, just being real, I, I believe that we live in a time called the millennium, which is the millennial reign of Christ. And I believe that because Jesus is seated on the throne. Um, and we live in a season called the tribulation. And if you don't believe that, have you opened your eyes and looked around the world right now? Um, and so John's, and, and anyway, all that to say, the book of Revelation is most is not primarily about what's gonna happen at the end. That's the last few chapters. Primarily, it's about how do you stay focused on Jesus in the middle? How do you stay focused on Jesus in the middle? And then John has this incredible moment where he, he shows Jesus coming as the lion at the end and he's, he's victorious and he comes with a sword and, 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 and he reigns forever. And so John in his, the entirety of his library, he gives us the beginning, Jesus in the middle of creation, the one through whom everything's made. Jesus is, is the one who is the spoken word of God, who's, who's illuminating things. He gives us that. And then he gives us at the end, Jesus victorious, reigning for eternity, seated on the throne, glorified in heaven. And he uses these two things as a device to tell us what he's gonna be like in the middle, that Jesus is the King. I really just came with one message today. Jesus is King. And I don't know whether that's whether you know that, whether you understand that, whether you've submitted to that, but Jesus is King. And so his message throughout is turn to Jesus. He keeps calling non-believers, turn to Jesus. And if you don't know him today, I would invite you to turn to Jesus. He keeps calling the, the, those who have, who have followed Jesus to turn back to Him, to turn back to their first love. He, he writes throughout the book of Revelation, continue to turn to, to, to Jesus in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship, when times are hard, when you're suffering, when things are hard, continue to turn to Jesus. This is His message is turn to Jesus. See, John knew what he was doing when he wrote his opening lines of his gospel. He tells us why in verse four, we'll read it all together and then we'll put verse four up on the screen. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him and without him, not anything was made that was made. This is why we turn to Jesus. Verse four, in him was life and that life was the light of men. In Him, in Him alone is life. In Jesus is the only place we can find life. I think there are so many opportunities and options in our world right now to find life and happiness and joy and peace and comfort and in a whole bunch of different places. But John's message is to the church, in Him, in Jesus is life. In Jesus is life. He's the only way. He actually is. He's the only way to life. 
And so John is, he's, it's kind of like he's building our anticipation as he's writing. He's saying, I want, you to I want you to hear this hot Bible gossip I've got. It's not about Jesus as a man, but it's about Jesus as king. And, and he's building this anticipation. He's like, so Jesus is, he, he's the one, when God said, let there be light, Jesus is the one that's, that he's the word that comes out. And whenever God speaks, it, it, it's like light in the way that it responds to darkness. And, and so he's, he's taking us along and he's like, and Jesus is the one who made everything. Through him, everything has been made that was made. Like nothing happened without Jesus. He's kind of like the striker in football who like takes the ball from his end and runs it around all the players and scores the goal. You did nothing. He did everything. Like, like he's, he's the show pony of this whole thing. It's all about Jesus. And, and then he says, in him and in him alone is, is life. He's the only place we find it. And, and if you hear nothing else today, honestly, turn to Jesus. In him is the only place you will ever find life. In him. In him. Oh man. I, I had COVID a few weeks ago and um, this is the first time preaching since. And um, I can feel myself getting caught up. Anyway, I'll just preach less and I'll just, I'll, I'll teach slowly. I'll put on my, my dark, deep voice. Luke. That one was for you, Simon. That's what I'm going to say. In him is life. Just, clo just close your eyes where you are right now. In you, God, is life. God, any part of my life, that, that, that any part of me that's searching for life in other places, God, I want to turn back to you. I want to turn back to you today. In Him is life. And then, and He's leading us. He's building anticipation. He's leading to this moment in verse five. And this is where he's, he's taking all of us. He's taking us on this journey today. And he says this in verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. See, he, he's, 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 this is the line that I think he probably was really intending to say. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Because Jesus is king, he, he shows us him in the middle of creation. He shows us him right at the end and he tells us what he's gonna be like in the middle. When he speaks, it's light and the darkness will not overcome it. I really just came for one reason today. I wanna give you confidence in what God has said. I want you to have confidence in what He said. If God has spoken to you today, if He's spoken, if He's given your word through Scripture or through Him speaking to you, I want you to have confidence in what He said. I think so often we, 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 we're kind of like the seed in, um, in one of the parables that, that we receive the word with joy, but when the pressure of life comes, we, we wither away and we don't take, we, we don't, it doesn't blossom. But I want you to have confidence, take heart. When He speaks, it is light. God, when you, when you speak, it is light. And the darkness has not overcome it. Um, last year um, was, probably, was actually probably the hardest year of my life. Um, just being real. Um, I, about partway through last year, I was sitting on the couch at home 
holding our, our one-year-old Everett. Um, and I, I had a, a thought, and instantly I had a panic attack. I, I've never had anything like it before, but I just had this panic attack, and I felt my whole body going into shock and shutting down. And it was awful. Um, and a few, uh, you know, Larissa was um, doing something with our other son, and then a few, she came back 15 minutes later. I was like, I think I had a panic attack. It was really strange. And I like wanted to analyze it because I'd never had anything before because I've always just prided myself on being um, mentally like this. <laughs> and, um, and so anyway, I had this panic attack and... Um, that was, a, that was awful, but the worst was um, for the next three or four weeks, every day at 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I would just feel this deep depression come over me. Um, and it was always around the same, the same thing. And um, I won't go into that today because it's, it's too big of a topic to break open. But I, I just remember just struggling so much. And in the middle of that, Larissa was having the worst year of her life as well. Um, and she really struggled, was struggling mentally and uh, went through some like burnout. And um, this isn't why we left and this isn't why we're here, just so you know. Um, but we just, man, it was, it was tough. A few months went by, I, 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 we'd both been in counseling, we'd had prayer support and, and we'd had pastors like walk with us. I actually remember calling Chris and talking to him about it one day. Um, and anyway, we were walking through all of this and, and I kind of got to the other side of it a few, a few months later. Larissa was still struggling at this point, but I, I felt like I was at the other side of it. Um, but I just... I just didn't have any emotional reserve anymore. And the moment anything got hard or, or became difficult, I would just sink back to this place. Um, and it would just happen all of the time to me. And, and I just, I thought I was broken. I wasn't gonna get, I wasn't gonna get fixed again. I was going to counseling and, and it seemed to help in the moment, but really didn't, I, he, I wasn't getting any tools to fix when I would have these low moments. Um, and so, I really was just like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't really have any solutions. I was just kind of living life and I thought, okay, I'm just going to be dealing with this. And then um, I was walking uh, along State Highway 1 in Woodend, just outside where we lived in Rangiora, on um, January 12th at 11.30 in the morning. And um, this year, and as I was walking along, God spoke to me and He said two things. He said, Mitch, the season of depression is over and you'll be in a new house by this time next year. And I was like, amen to the first one. The second one, that's strange. That's interesting, Lord. We don't have any plans on buying a new house. Didn't know we were going to move to Whangarei and end up living in a different house. Anyway, but so, so I just, I heard God and I just had this confidence that what he said was true. Anyway, I forgot about it. Um, and um, maybe I should have written it down or something. Save, told Siri to like 
you know, remind me later. Anyway, later that evening, I remembered and I, I was talking to Larissa and I just said, hey, look, um, I was walking down the road today um, and God just spoke to me and he said these two things. The season of depression is over and and, um, and you'll be in a new house. And we talked about the new house thing and, and then we just were like, okay, we, we're going to agree with God's word. If, if, he, if that's what he said, we're, we're going to agree. Um, and then we kind of just left it there. But a few days later, we noticed, oh, we haven't, we haven't really had any like low moments the last few days. This is interesting. Maybe we're just riding off this God encounter. And, and then we, we came up to Whangarei and uh, I was, uh, we just, God bombarded us. We had one week of nice holiday and then one week of, of what felt like agony as we would, we, we knew God was calling us, but we knew what we'd be leaving behind, our friends, our family, um, and, and our church. And, and so we had this week that was really painful. And, and I remember going, how are we getting through this without slipping into depression? And then we, we made the decision. We went home. We, we, we told my mum, which was really hard. And then we told, um, we told our pastors, and that was really hard as well. And we told our family and, and it really sucked. <laughs> Just being real with you. I'm here, we, we came with a cost. Like, like it costs us something to move here. But it's because we believe God asked us to. And, and how could I not say yes? How could I not say yes when Jesus laid there ripped open on a cross for me? And so we went through that. No depression. And then we decided to renovate a house before we moved. And we were in the middle of what felt like kitchen week on the block NZ. And it just, it so happened that when we were in the middle of it, we went to Mitre 10 and um, Dan from the last season of the block was at Mitre 10. And it really just threw us and we we're like, we feel like we're in the middle of kitchen week. Nothing. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.